Great to be with you this morning, church. I'm, uh, I've heard so much about the 40 days of prayer and fasting, the challenge that so many of you are pressing into and have found to be so rich for your souls. I know that a number of you have had some of your big three prayer requests answered. Not all of you. I haven't. But for all of us who have been pressing in on the Lord, we have found that God's at work in our lives in a great way. It's been exciting. It's been encouraging. Uh, this past Monday morning, I received an email that, uh, regarding the 40 days that I wanted to read to you. This is from Katie Ruth Rogers in our church. Katie and Tyler, but this is from Katie, Katie Ruth. All right, she said, a few weeks ago, my three children were eating lunch at our kitchen bar. I heard a crash and scream and saw my two-year-old daughter, Liza Joy, had tipped her chair backwards, still strapped into her booster seat. She had taken the brunt of the fall on the back of the head, hitting our hardwood floor. She was silent. I ran over to her. She still wasn't making any sound. I rushed my other children to the car, was on the phone with my husband, and started praying immediately. From the moment I saw her lying backwards, I knew I had to pray with all fervor and might. She wasn't responding to me and was completely limp and gray, though her eyes were open. I heard my oldest child shout out that she had closed her eyes. She had gone unconscious. I was beside myself and hung up the phone with my husband, who had been praying aloud with me for our child. Our other two children were also crying out to Jesus. I called 911, and they sent over an ambulance. Oh, God, save our daughter. Jesus, be near. Father, help her. Let her live. Protect her brain. Jesus, you are a healer. You are mighty. You are a God of miracles. You do them in other countries. Do one now. Right before we arrived at the hospital, I said, Jesus, you spoke to me when Liza Joy was in my womb and said that she would be a woman of great faith. So do it. A woman. This might seem disrespectful, but honestly, it was a place of great faith. The Holy Spirit called upon the word that God had spoken to me and said, take hold. The faith God had spoken of and over my child, he gave me in that moment. My husband was waiting at the hospital, and they rushed us to the trauma room. Liza Joy did not move for over an hour, nor did she say anything at all. Tyler and I were praying. Then the doctors came in to say that there was nothing showing on their scans. They were in shock as they had been prepping her for surgery due to the way that she was acting, and the scans were completely clear. Within the next 30 minutes, she was fully herself, chatting, walking, eating, and sharing goldfish. It was a miracle. And the doctors and nurses didn't even know what to say. <clears throat> yeah, God. And uh, Katie Ruth concludes, I'm so grateful to God for moving mountains and pray that many would be blessed by how God heals and moves. During the 40 days of drawing the circle, the book is instilling in me a freshness for specific and raw prayers. And that builds faith. Good word, Katie Ruth. Katie Ruth, are you and Tyler over there? If you could just stand and we see who you are. Where are you? I know you're here. Right there. See him right there. Good. Yay, God. Yay, God. Great story. Stand with me, church, for our passage today. We're in Acts 2. But before I get there, I want to just uh, 
reminds you that with Acts 2, we come to one of the great milestone chapters of the Bible. A little, little graph to help you get the whole Bible over, uh, overview. Genesis 1 through 11, God is dealing with all peoples in general, all nations in general. But in Genesis 12, with the call of Abraham, he begins with one nation, Israel. And so for the rest of the Old Testament, through the four Gospels, through Acts 1, he's dealing with one nation, Israel. But in our chapter, Acts 2, we begin the third major epoch in biblical history as God pours out his spirit now begins focusing on all nations. That includes all you guys. And so that's the plan of God. Here's Acts 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. Church, this is God's word. Please be seated. Well, church, you can probably tell by my introduction with the, the... biblical flow of the Bible, that this is an important theological passage to get the grasp of. And we're going to begin there, but then we're going to become very practical about our daily life with the Holy Spirit. And both of those are equally important, the theological importance and framework and the practical daily life with the Spirit. So the main statement of our passage came in verse 4, where we read the simple statement, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the, the, the setting the background was given in verse 1, that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That is, all the believers in Jerusalem. There were 120 of them we, we found in the previous chapter. So they're in this upper room. Jesus said, right before he ascended, 10 days before, you go back there and wait, and that was code for you wait and pray. In the Bible, waiting is always waiting and praying. And that's what they're doing for 10 days. And it is in this place that God pours out his spirit and begins the church and this new age. It begins in a prayer service. God uses people who pray. God is saying something that the church, at essence, is to be a house of prayer. And so, God pours out His Spirit in this setting, and we see three 
uh, things that always go together in the New Testament. They're praying for us, so there's prayer. God's going to pour out his Holy Spirit. He's going to birth the church. Prayer, Holy Spirit, church. We're the church. That means we need to be focused on prayer and the Holy Spirit. They go together. Okay, this event we read when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, what's Pentecost? That is one of the three big festivals that the Jews celebrated annually. You had Passover in the spring. Fifty days later, the word Pentecost refers to the 50. Fifty days later, we had Harvest Festival or Pentecost. And then in the fall, we had Tabernacles. Now, for these three festivals, the Jewish people who, you know, like now, who are scattered around the world, back in those days too, they were scattered around the Roman Empire. And many of them, thousands of them, would go to Jerusalem for these three big festivals. And so Jerusalem was packed with people. And all over the empire, speaking all different kind of languages, when this occurred. Now, Pentecost was harvest festival. So we're celebrating that we're harvesting the grain. Now, what did Jesus say about the harvest? He said, look onto the fields, they are white for harvest. Uh, and what he was teaching us is that the people then, just like the people in every age, many of them are ripe for harvest. Right now, in your world, in your business world, in your 24-hour workout world, in your neighborhood, your family. God is at work drawing some people who are ripe. And God wants us to be alert to the harvest. The church was founded on harvest day. What is that telling you and I? But that the church was never intended to be an inward church, but always an outward church focused on those, not on the inside, but on the outside. It's been said that the church is the only army in the world that is not, uh, the purpose is not for ourselves, but for those on the outside. And that was Jesus' heart, wasn't it? I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Morgan Chalulu is a pastor in Rwanda, uh, Zambia, make that Zambi, Morgan Chalulu. And he put it this way. He said, if I can find it. He said, the church that lives within its four walls is no church at all. Because at the essence of a church, is not only a church that is birthed in prayer, a church of the Holy Spirit, but it is a harvest church. Did we not see, did we not see in Acts 1-8, the theme verse of the Bible, there was a witnessing church, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you shall be my witnesses. That's right. And then all through the book, it's expanding, reaching out, spreading. Uh, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ is concerned about those on the outside. It's a harvesting church. All righty. So the setting, Pentecost, and they're praying. And then the next three verses, two through four, the heart of the passage, we've got three symbols of the Holy Spirit, three symbols. And they're a bit unusual, but let's unpack them, what God is saying to us about these three symbols. There's one is sound, one is sight, one is speech. First, the sound in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It wasn't a wind. Nobody's clothes were blown. Your hats weren't blown off. But it was a sound like that. Think about you're sitting on a 747, and they're rearing those engines up, and it's so loud. I assume if you were outside, it'd be super loud. Maybe it was something like that, a mighty rushing wind. 
Why wind? Well, you need to know a little bit about the Greek language at this point because the, the, the word here is pneuma. Pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. We get pneumonia, we get a pneumatic drill, those kind of words. Pneuma meant both wind and it meant spirit. Now here, by the context, you decide how to translate it. It's wind here. It's like a mighty rushing wind, but there is a subtle clue. Think the Holy Spirit. Think spirit because the wind is a symbol of the Spirit of God. And isn't it an appropriate symbol because the wind is invisible just like the Spirit of God is invisible? And the wind is powerful, can be, uh, just like the Holy Spirit is powerful. And so uh, all those first readers would see pneuma there. They'd see wind, but they'd also think spirit. So that's the point of that loud wind. And then secondly, the second symbol involves sight and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, again, it's not fire. It's like fire. And divided tongues as of fire appeared. So there'd be no singed hair, no heat, no burned up clothes, none of that stuff, but, but there's this fire. Now, the wind makes sense, but why the fire? Well, all through the Bible, fire represents God. It symbolizes the presence of God. Exodus 3, God appears to Moses in a burning bush, fire. Uh, throughout the uh, 40 years in the wilderness, there was a God appeared in a mighty cloud by day and a fire by night, a pillar of fire by night. Uh, other instances, for example, 1 Kings 18, the battle of uh, Elijah and the false prophets, when God really showed up and revealed himself, fire fell down. And you see that. Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. So what do we see here? This is God showing up. God was telling those people that I'm in the room in this pronounced, emphatic, tangible way. God the Spirit. Okay, we've seen the wind referring to the Spirit. We've seen fire referring to the Spirit of God. And now we've got these languages. So speech, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And what that's referring to is foreign languages that will become clear because all the people who were gathered there, that they now had, after generations, had learned other languages. They weren't all speaking Hebrew. And they heard their own native languages from these 120 Galilean Christians who did not know those languages. So it was a miracle, all these people from centuries. I remember some years back, um, I, I go to China. We had some missionaries there, and I, I visited both of them. And while we were in western China, way over by Tibet, uh, we, we go for a day just to kind of see the area and go up into the foothills of the Himalayan mountains. We go into this small village up there. Now, just imagine this. Uh, this didn't happen, but what if I was on a tour in that little mountain village, and there were people from France and Germany and Italy and various places there, and what if when we walked into the restaurant that we walked into, the Chinese people there, the uneducated Chinese people in that little mountain village began speaking French, German, Italian, English. I mean, that would get our attention, wouldn't it? Well, can you imagine that day with a loud rushing wind, with all the commotion, all the people coming, they begin hearing these Galileans speak their native languages. And no wonder, about six times in the passage we read, they're perplexed. 
They're astonished. They're bewildered. I mean, they're completely baffled by this. What in the world is going on? And even us today, reading this passage, we've got to ask ourselves, what is God doing? What in the world is God doing here in Acts 2? Well, Peter will stand up in about 10 minutes and uh, a few minutes, and we'll get to that passage next week. And he will quote an Old Testament passage that explains exactly what is going on. Now, the Old Testament talked, had several things to say about the Holy Spirit, but this key passage talked about the day in the future when God would pour out His Spirit and it'd be a new era. And we see that later in the passage in Acts 2, verse 17, Peter quotes, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. So Joel 2 clearly prophesied, declared, one day it's going to be a new era, and I will pour out my Spirit in this way that we have never seen. Now, when John the Baptist showed up, at the start of Jesus' ministry. Do you recall what he said about the Spirit? This is what he said in Luke 3.16. Here's John the Baptist, the chosen messenger to prepare the way for Jesus. He said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's being fulfilled that day. The Spirit of God. Jesus pouring out the Holy Spirit to baptize them, to engulf them, to immerse them in the Holy Spirit and fire the presence of God. Moreover, the night before Jesus' cross in John 13 through 17, Jesus talks repeatedly to those uh, believers about the Holy Spirit is coming. He's about to come. I'm going away, I'm going to send my helper, my, uh, your comforter, your advocate, the spirit of truth. And he emphasized it. The spirit is about to be coming on you. And then in Acts 1, not um, 10 days before, right before he ascended, he emphasizes it again in Acts 1-5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And here it is. So, uh, this has been prophesied way back in the Old Testament, and increasingly so by John the Baptist, by Jesus, and then by Jesus again in the book of Acts. This is the long-promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So this marks a new day where God is no longer focused on just one nation, the Jews, but on people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And until uh, the return of Jesus, uh, this is the focus. It's on the nations. The Holy Spirit focused on the nations. The next paragraph, briefly, gives the response to the event in verse 5. Now, there are dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They're visiting Pentecost. And at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, each because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse 7, he goes on to say, and they were amazed and astonished. Now, that's about the third word about they're being completely baffled. 
saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And now how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, and he lists 15 different peoples to sort of represent people from all over the Roman Empire. And he starts, I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> Just making sure you're, wait, no, I am about to sneeze. It'll come soon. All right. Don't, don't miss it. Okay, and they were amazed at this, 15 groups all over the empire, and he's saying that the whole Roman Empire, their whole known world, there were people represented, and, and, and they were hearing these languages. Down in verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And then that's when that humor comes out, that attempt at humor. You know, sometimes when we're nervous, we don't know what to say, we'll take an attempt at humor. That's what's going on here. Oh, they're just drunk with new wine. And they don't know what to say. They cannot process what they are hearing and seeing. What's going on? Now, what is um, behind this is that I, earlier I said this is marking a new era in Acts 2. You remember the chart earlier, the first part was Genesis 1 through 11. And then it begins Genesis 12, and that whole big section of the Bible, Old Testament, the Gospels, that's Israel, the Jews. What happens right before that in Genesis 11? It's the Tower of Babel, isn't it? What happens right after that? It's Pentecost. And Pentecost is a deliberate reversal of Babel. Let me explain how that goes. What happened at Babel? Well, they were building this tower in their pride towards God. God, in judgment, came upon them and took all. They just had one language. He separated them. He confused the languages. Now they had from same to different. But at Pentecost, people with different languages now could speak the same language. There was language confusion at Babel, and there was language communication at Pentecost. Before Babel, there were many nations, and it went from many to one focus in Genesis 12, Israel. But in Pentecost, there was just one nation in Acts 1, and then in Acts 2, he goes to many nations. The reversal. In Babel, the people were scattered. In Pentecost, the people were gathered. In Babel, there was the judgment of God, and it Pentecost, the grace of God. And so God is giving us markers here. Okay, Genesis 1 through 11 is one section, all these nations. But now 12 through the rest of the Old Testament, down through Acts 1, we're focused on Israel. Now it's a new day. Our focus is now all the nations of the earth. Because it's a new day and the Spirit of God is being poured out on there. All righty, church. You've got the theological overview, but it is very important that we get the daily practical thing because the rest of the New Testament is going to spell out that this is not just a history lesson. This is not just something to read about then, but this is how we live our Christian life in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. What's the Bible going to say about this? Well, it's going to remind us that the Spirit is God. You know, it's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He's always been here. In fact, remember in Genesis 1-2 he's mentioned, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And from time to time in the Old Testament, we see that the Spirit would, would come upon someone like David for a special reason, special purpose. But there was always the promise, one day I'm going to pour out my Spirit. 
And that happens in Acts 2. So now, since Acts 2, what the Bible teaches is that we all have the Holy Spirit inside us. And he's not in there for us to ignore or neglect or to kind of push to the back. A whole lot of Christians have sort of relegated the Spirit to the back seat of the car, and they got that steering wheel with tight hands. And that's not what God intended, but rather for the Spirit to take control. The Bible teaches, for example, Romans 8 9, if you're a Christian, you've got the Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now, look at that last line there. That's crystal clear, isn't it? If you're a believer in Christ, you trusted Christ your Savior, you've got the Spirit. He, the powerful, almighty Spirit of God, is inside of you. The problem is that 95% of Christians just sort of ignore him and neglect him. And as A.W. Tozier said, if the Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of the things would, not, would go on just like they're normal. But in the early church, if the Spirit was withdrawn, 95% of things would change. Everything would be different. So the key is, are you living in the power of the Spirit or in your own power? Now, we've got to realize that from the time you were just a baby, that these ages up here, that part of your sinful nature was this deep inbred sense of self-dependence and self-reliance. Don't you hear it from the two-year-old? I can do it myself. You hear that, don't you? Well, that's our self-reliance that still pops out. But the whole point of the spiritual life is that you depend, not I can do it myself, but oh God, I cannot do it. Spirit, would you do it for me? Would you empower me? What I'm saying, what the Bible is saying, is that if you're struggling with sin in your life, pride, anger, temper, lust, uh, gossip, any kind of sin, it's not I can do it myself because that doesn't work. You've noticed that, haven't you? Frustration and futility. Some of you are highly frustrated in your spiritual life. This is why right here today. Not depending on the power of the Spirit. So here's the way to live the Christian life is, Lord, there's no way I can do that. Would you please guide me? Would you please change me? Would you please transform me? That means that the problems that you're working with right now, the, the challenges, home, work, uh, neighborhood, whatever, the challenge of your life, that you have this sense of moment-by-moment dependence on the Spirit to guide you. Okay, let me take me, for example. This morning, I've got more material like usual than I need, and, and so I am wondering, okay, what parts I should leave out of this message, what parts I'd include, and what do I pray? But, Spirit, would you lead me about that? Okay, for your biggest problem right now, pull it up in your minds. Is this your attitude? Oh, Spirit, would you lead me on this? That's how we think in the Christian life. We live in the power of the Spirit. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit. The Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. The Bible says, be led by the Spirit. And the rest of the New Testament is just going to elaborate that. And that's how we live. That's hard for us to remember because we revert back into the two-year-old, I can do it myself. Oh, so quickly. And that's why we can be so frustrated in the spiritual life. Steve Smith was in our church until last March when he went home to heaven. Laura is still in our church. Steve was uh, 
He's one of the most influential missionaries in the world. 20 years he spent in Asia, Western China and other places, and uh, he began training missionaries all over the world. Right before he died, he completed a book on the Holy Spirit that was really heavy on his heart. He calls it Spirit Walk. In fact, his wife, Laura Smith, is teaching the women's Bible study. Gail tells me that it's incredible. And uh, Lauren Stone that I see right over there did a workbook to go with it and uh, was teaching this past Sunday. But in this book, Spirit Walk, this is what Steve says early in the book. He says, you know, I learned something about Christians, even the most mature Christians. He said, never assume they understand about the Spirit Walk. Never assume they understand what the Bible is talking about with walking by the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. And I think he's right. He tries in this book to, to make it uh, very practical and hands-on, and he uses a little acronym, SWAP, S-W-A-P. And let me just sort of unpack that a bit. Uh, the S means surrender. The W, wait in prayer, because waiting on God, praying in God, that all goes together. Uh, a is avoiding sin, because if you are living in sin, God's not going to fill you with the Spirit. P Pursue the promptings of the Spirit. Just leave it up there if you don't mind, please, uh, and our tech team. Now, swap, swap roles with the Spirit. Rather than you being at the wheel controlling things, let the Holy Spirit take control. I would say the one English word, I felt this for years, that best summarizes what we need to do to live by the Spirit is the word surrender. And I'm so pleased to see that Steve put it up there. And I think really surrender encapsulates the other three. It just spells it out. Okay, surrender to the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means this. Those kids you got, they're not yours. Your health, it's not yours. Your dreams and agenda, lay it aside and get God's dreams and agenda. Everything you have, everything you belong, surrender it to your king surrender perhaps more deeply than you've ever surrendered before. Surrender. Now, if you're surrendered to God, dependent upon God, you will pray. You will, won't you? If you're dependent upon God, okay, here this morning, I'm uh, thinking about this message, and what do I do? I pray, oh, Spirit, lead me. Now, if I don't pray, I'm not depending upon God. So don't kid yourself. If you're not in an attitude of prayer throughout the day, you are not surrendered to the Spirit. You are big, fat, living yourself a lie of you're in control. Don't kid yourself. A, avoid sin. Now, if you're living in open sin, rebellious of sin, God's not going to fill you with this Spirit. He's not going to let you get close to Him. Now, nobody's perfect. But I'm talking about open sin, where you've got some dishonesty going on at work, where you're living in, you know, continual gossip, you're regularly viewing internet pornography, you've got some unforgiveness in your heart, you don't give to God uh, off the top. I mean, you've got overt sin. Don't expect God to fill you with His Spirit. You're going to keep being frustrated in the failure. P, P, pursue the promise of the Spirit. Here the attitude is just, Lord, what are you saying to me about this? Lord, what should I do? Spirit, would you guide me? It's a moment-by-moment leading by the Spirit. And I think Steve in this book, by the way, we had some at the first service, but I doubt there are any available in the cafe. You can go on Amazon. So swap places with the Spirit.
Let me close by asking you a few questions just between you and God. Listen to the Spirit about these questions. Are those four things true of you? Secondly, are you fully surrendered to God? Thirdly, have you swapped roles in your daily life with the Spirit so that He's in control moment by moment? And then finally, right now, what's the Spirit saying to you in your heart? What impressions, what promptings is He giving you right now? Just close your eyes so you're not distracted by me. And just pay attention. Listen. What's the Spirit saying to you? Lord God, fill us afresh with your Spirit. Because we know that you created us to live in the Spirit. Thank you that you're the Spirit of love, kindness, mercy, and grace. Lord, we need you. Take control.